every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the sixth episode of the first season of Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok. I'm your psychic, Eric Ledbetter. And with us today is Sophie Goad. Hey, what's up? Yay, special guest. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you're on. I know you've listened to these podcasts before, and uh, you were actually at Dorney Park with me for the Dorney Park episode of the Ghost Encounters show, which is out now, by the way. So check it out, ghost-encounters.com. Uh, it'll take you to the YouTube channel where you can see the uh, Dorney Park episode of the Ghost Encounters show. So I always ask uh, guests on the show, what was your first ever ghost encounter? So I did not have my own ghost encounter experience really before uh, we went to Dorney Park and filmed there. Um, I had somebody who I used to be close to tell me that there were shadow people around me at some point, but I I never saw them personally and I did not have any kind of experience uh, until Dorney Park. What would you say was the creepiest or best experience from Dorney Park? So uh, for me, Being in the crypt in Dorney Park, uh, that place definitely had some vibes to it that were different, I thought. And the most specific thing that was the coolest for me was hearing a a disembodied voice, like being there in person and kind of hearing the voice respond directly to a question, but not being able to place it and not being able to exactly hear what it said. Like that was definitely just a really cool experience to have. Yeah, a lot of times, I mean, EVPs will be, you know, you hear them after the fact, and for those of you listening who don't know, EVP stands for Electronic Voice Phenomenon, essentially spirits talking uh, within the white noise from you know recording. Uh, recorders and um, microphones can pick up lower decibels than we can hear ourselves, uh, and then when it plays back, we can actually hear it, and you'll hear voices after the fact, but sometimes it'll be so loud that we actually do hear it, and when you're in the moment in a place that's pitch black and you know it's haunted and things are happening and you hear a voice it's very uh it's very eerie um and exciting at the same time <laughs> but it's definitely an experience that it's hard to explain how you feel when when it happens unless you've actually experienced it yeah i had such a fun time <laughs> investigating dorney park i had such a fun time walking around the park at night was just cool in general and it was hard it was interesting because there was still stuff going on like we heard ducks and stuff it's different like covering so much ground and having all these different things that kind of could interfere like all of this electronic equipment that's going off and is that sound supposed to happen is that sound like normal is it abnormal but it was still cool and we were still definitely able to kind of sort through everything and pick out the stuff that was abnormal and different yeah, it's, it's interesting because like, that stuff will happen and it, it's, it's cool when you're at a place that definitely is haunted because you can tell the difference between, oh, that was this, but this was definitely gonna, this other thing was definitely unexplained. You know, we had that going on the entire time at Dwayne Park. Um, it was also interesting because like, I've done investigations outside, I've done investigations inside, but Dwayne Park had a variety of both. We were both inside and outside. You know, we were inside some buildings and we were outside some areas of the park. So it was uh, very interesting to kind of have that both happen in one investigation. And there was a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe, like, it's a little different because we were trying to cover so many places. Like, I think we could have spent a long time, like, a whole investigation just in the crypt. Being, like sort. Of yeah, the barn, going... too. I mean, because 
stuff was going on, and we, we just had so much ground to cover. I mean, we were there until what, like four thirty yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Um, you know, if we would have stayed any longer, the sun would have started coming up. <laughs> but uh, you know, Dorney Park has so much history. I mean, the park itself is celebrating its hundred and thirty eighth season uh, as a park, but the land goes back way further than that. You know, there are houses on the property, hotels. I mean, generations of people have died and passed through. You know, on this property, and who knows what was there before that? It could have been you know Native American land. Who knows? You know, so a lot of history has happened with that land and with the park. Um, so it was a very cool investigation. Uh, I was very excited that they reached out to me uh, to have uh, Ghost Encounters feature it. Uh, it was very cool. Uh, Tana did a great job on the investigation. She was like a natural. Yeah, know? yeah. She definitely <laughs> fell right into Steph and was like right along with it. Yeah, that was really yeah. cool. But we caught a lot of great evidence, uh, both visually and audibly. It's a great episode. Go check it out, ghost-encounters.com. Again, it's on the YouTube channel. Uh, hit the like, hit the subscribe, share it with everybody. Uh, it was a really cool episode. So for this episode, I wanted to talk about something that I'm very passionate about. Um, and since we are in the spooky season, I thought it would be a perfect uh, chance to do it. But I wanted to talk about the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, and Sophie, I wanted to bring you on this episode, not just to talk a little bit about Tony Park, but because you actually told me you are related to someone from the Salem Witch Trials. Yes. So a little background. I was actually born in Lowell, Massachusetts. Uh, we only lived there until I was three and we re relocated down here to Pennsylvania. But, um, but my whole family still lives up in Massachusetts, especially on my dad's side. And it's actually my aunt who did some like Ancestry.com research. She traced um, our lineage back and found out that while we are distantly related to Sarah Good. I don't have the specifics of it, uh, exactly who's related to who and in what way, but I do know that uh, I have some shared lineage with Sarah Good. That's that's, that's cool, because Sarah Good, she was one of the first accused uh, during the Salem Witch Trials. Well, yeah. and one of the most popular, like, stories, right? I mean, didn't Sarah Good have, like, one of the most popular, like, if you think about the Salem Witch Trials, her name comes up often, right? Yeah, there, there's, there's a couple names that do come up quite often um i'll get into those uh the list of names but uh yeah i mean you, you always hear about her name and you know people know sarah good from salem witch trials so and it's funny your last name was goad and mm -hmm. your last name was good so i can kind of see how there would be some kind of translation problem or like some like a lot of times when there's a when people travel from you know over the centuries names change there's always a, a letter dropped or a letter added like Correct. Sort of things. Like, and, there's a name for that. I forget and, what it is. You know, a lot of times things weren't written down. So if you just say your name and someone's not listening, it could sound like something else. It, and that happens all the time too. It's so. funny because that happens with my last name all the time. There's literally a one letter difference between good and goad, and it's the a. And I have been called good so many times. Like it's so weird. It's such a simple last name, but people will butcher it all the time. So like, yeah, I get called good sometimes. I have like in high school <laughs> that's, and stuff. That's so so weird. that's funny. Yeah. And you're related to good. <laughs> Where was the where you lived? How far is that from? Salem for people that don't know Massachusetts at all. So I lived in Lowell, which is north of Boston, okay. right along the line of New Hampshire. I still have a lot of family kind of in that area. Um, if you were familiar with Boston, Boston is kind of on the eastern side of Massachusetts mm -hmm. and Salem is just north okay. of it. Yeah. Got it. So let's dive into this a little bit. Um, so this took place in Salem, Massachusetts and other surrounding counties, but Salem was kind of like the hub where the courthouse was and, you know, where everything everything was located. Um, but between the years of 1692 and 1693, a group of young girls in the Salem village 
became consumed by disturbing fits, accompanied by seizures, violent outbursts, and blood-curdling screams. A doctor diagnosed them as being victims of black magic, and this is when the witch allegation started, and it started panic and mass hysteria throughout the village. It led to over 200 accusations, 19 people were hanged, one man was pressed to death, and a handful of others died while in prison. How do you press somebody to death? That's crazy. I'll get into that. That's awful. I'll get into that, but that is an insane story. So I know a lot of people always go to this whole thing like burnt at the stake when they talk about witches. No people in Salem were ever burnt at the stake. Burnt at the stake probably comes from stuff that was happening in Europe around the same time. So not only did Salem, Massachusetts have this witch hunt, but also in Europe had this also panic about witch hunt. And it all goes back to religion. People were terrified of the devil. They believed that people could sign their souls to the devil and they'd be controlled by the devil and cause havoc throughout the world. And people were terrified of this. But over in Europe, the hysteria peaked between the 15th and 18th centuries. And I believe over more than 50,000 people were executed as witches in Europe. People were hanged, beheaded, and their bodies were typically incarcerated afterwards to protect people from post-mortem sorcery. Um, so not only here, but also in Europe, it, it was even worse. That's crazy that so many more people died in Europe than here in Salem, but you hear about the Salem witch trials so much more. They're so like popular in like pop culture to kind of replicate in different like movies and media. Like, Isn't there an American Horror Story season to that kind of mimic Salem? Salem, Massachusetts, uh, which one was in a shit ton of <laughs> movies, TV shows. Um, it really started in the 1950s when the play The Crucible, uh, written by Arthur Miller, came out. So the 50s here in America had its own mass hysteria with communism. People were accusing people of being communists and people were being beaten, arrested, like all kinds of stuff. So Arthur Miller kind of took the same kind of thing that happened in Salem, Massachusetts, made it into a play, and put it out at that time so people could see like what was going on. Play the Crucible was actually then made into a movie in 1996 which featured Daniel Day-Lewis and Winona Ryder. It's a very good movie. Um, it is a little bit different than the play and it is a little bit different than what actually happened but if you've never seen The Crucible it's a great way to learn about what happened and it's a great way to see like how they lived and how this whole mass hysteria kind of happened. Um, it's definitely a great movie to go check out, especially great to watch now during the spooky season. But not only The Crucible, I mean, it's been talked about in American Horror Story. Um, there's a movie Practical Magic, which talked about their ancestor uh, being from uh, Salem, Massachusetts and being a witch there. Uh, it's been in a lot of stuff. So it doesn't surprise me that we hear no more about the witch trials here than over in Europe. The ones in Europe lasted for a very long time, and that's, what, that's probably why so many people were killed. But The Crucible is probably the most well-known one. Um, it, it's such a great movie. I just think it's interesting that it like came back around in the 50s because of the idea that like they were going through something similar mm -hmm. about a different concept, but like history just repeats itself sometimes. It really does. <laughs> it's, it's not always like that noticeable because it's always like a little bit different, but it's always you know, somewhat similar to what's happened before. Uh, I, just, I, just, I like that Arthur Miller kind of took what was going on currently at that time and made something previously to show people that, hey, this is kind of the same, so let's kind of stop doing what we're doing. Yeah, and reading it in school, I think, it was hard to kind of wrap my head around the fact that he really used real people 
So like I thought when you read the when I read the Crucible for the first time, I thought like, oh, these are just characters that he created to describe a real event. But no, he pulled the real people's pulled, names. Yeah, he pulled the real people's names, and he actually did a ton of research because the play is very close to what actually happened. Obviously, things are somewhat different, but he made it very very accurate for a for a written play. Um, which I thought was really cool. Like, he did a lot of research to make that play happen. So let's talk, before we get into what happened uh, during that time, let's get into the people and let's try to understand them and maybe understand why this happened. The people living up in the area, area were Puritans. And I believe Puritans are a form of Christianity. Is that correct? Protestant. Protestant. Yeah, Protestant. So... And it's funny because Justin gave me this assignment to look up the religion part of it, the most non-religious person in the world to look up religion. Well, we had those other, we had the other podcast and you were going off about religion. I know because it is fascinating to me. Yeah. But I do think like, okay, so the Church of England, right, so it started to get a little bit more lenient um, and this group of Puritans, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, believed that they were getting too lenient and they did it, you know, they were kind of like letting things happen and there was, so they called themselves or they were known as the separatists, people that were separating from the church. So you have to remember 10 years prior, the pilgrims came over, right, from England, so from Europe. So the there you have this whole group of people that came over to America to kind of separate from the church and start a new life and kind of do what they wanted to do that wasn't under a, sort of a dictatorship kind of church law. And then the Puritans felt like they um, were not strict enough and they wanted to start out a, a, a Puritan colony where they were going to church for hours a day, they were praying for hours a day. Um, if you did anything that was outside of the church, you would often be fined or you would be locked in, um, the, I guess, stalls like horse stalls or stables. There's some of those stories out there. So you can see where if you're just not going to church and you're getting punished, what happens if you are you have some sort of medical condition at the time that people didn't know about what would happen to you? So a lot of the things that you talked about earlier about seizures and things that were happening medically to people looked like they were from the devil. And so the Puritan group would often punish those people. And that's kind of where that came from. So uh, in my research, if anybody has a different story, you know, certainly let us know. I'm not an expert on it, but that's sort of what I understand of the Puritans. Yeah, they're a very, very strict religious group. And I guess that's what kind of drives this whole terrifiedness of the devil. They kind of push that so much that the devil's so evil and it's so scary if the devil comes around and you gotta pray. And so that's why they were kind of so terrified um, when these things started happening and there was mentions of witchcraft. Yeah, I think, you know, just some other things about Puritans, if you want to know. You know, they're sort of the um, deliverers of um, the Sunday church, God day, kind of like the whole day of, of rest and um, believing in God and prayer. Uh, they founded Harvard University, which I thought was interesting, oh, in interesting. 1636, which is the oldest university in the United States. Um, women of the Puritan life ran the household, they ran the finances, they ran the education, they took care of all the children. Um, they did do all that, however, women were still looked down upon. Oh, of course, yeah. Like, you could not step out of line. Of course. You could not talk differently. Like, you you, you had your place. Yeah. And the, the worst event, obviously, in Puritan history is the Salem Witch Trials, which is noted everywhere. Um, sermons, like I said before, were lasted hours. Prayers alone would last hours. And then, uh, like I said, you know, if you didn't go to church or you didn't pray, you were often punished. So during this time, your wealth was measured in how much land you had. 
today's wealth obviously is recorded in how much money you have in your bank account. Before that, it was probably how much gold you had and stuff like that. But in this time that we're talking about, the more land you had, the more wealth you were, the more you were looked up to, the more power you had. More land, the more wealth, more power. And people kind of sought after that. And so this kind of all goes back to the Putnam family. The Putnam family has a huge, huge play in who was accused and who died and why. So a lot of people might think there were actually witches. A lot of people might think there's just some girls playing around that went out of hand. But to me, I saw it as when I was... Uh, I mean, I've been studying the Salem Witch Trials for a long time. Uh, the Putnam family wanted to get rid of people. And that's kind of how I saw it. Anyone who was different, anyone who didn't follow their views to a T, and anyone who was poor, they wanted to get rid of them. Because they wanted more power, more land, and they wanted more control of who they lived next to. It almost sounds cultish to me. You know, like, it almost right. sounds like if you don't follow the ringleader's ideas of what, you know, the religion or the cult or whatever, then you're punished, killed, whatever. Once you have this outlet of accusing people of witchcraft and right. you have this hysteria around it, it becomes so easy just to point your finger and everyone will just believe you because there were so minimal ways to actually prove it and their ways of proving it were so, like, archaic and, like, bizarre that you could really just accuse anyone you wanted to. Yeah, basically, if someone accused you and you said no, they would just think you were lying, and they would just keep asking you until you confessed or threaten your family or whip you until you actually confessed. And there, going back to Europe, there was actually uh, stories of, like, if people didn't confess to the witchcraft, they would tie their legs, tie their hands, throw them in a body of water. If they came out, they're a witch. If they drowned, well, they weren't a witch. But but they're dead. But they're dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, their ways of proving it were just almost torturous mm -hmm. and just evil. So the three girls that kind of started this were Anne Putnam, age 12, Abigail Williams, age 11, and Elizabeth Paris. Uh, they also say the name Brittany Paris. Um, they also call her Betty. I'm not exactly sure what her real name was, mm -hmm. but the name that comes up most is Elizabeth Paris. So Samuel Paris is the father. He is also the uncle of Abigail Williams. So Abigail Williams was living with her aunt and uncle. There's no mentioning of what happened to her parents. I know, I think in the, I think in the Crucible, it says that her parents were killed by Native Americans. Um, but I can't find any definitive answer on what happened to her parents and why she was living with her aunt and uncle. Um, Samuel Paris was the Puritan minister at the time. And they had a slave whose name was Tichuba. And it's believed that Tichiba came from Barbados. In Barbados, there was use of voodoo. Uh, it's not said whether Tichuba practiced voodoo around the Puritans. I can't imagine she would. Um, but there is stories that Tichiba would tell the girls about stories of witchcraft and voodoo back in Barbados. And so that's kind of where I think this whole thing started to drive from. You know, these girls were... You wouldn't tell a really young kid about that stuff, but when you start getting to, like... 11, 12 years old, maybe you start telling stories, you know, and that's where I kind of think this this derived from. There is rumors that Tichuba showed them some things, um, but I think if I was in that time around those kinds of people, I don't think I even would have tempted to show anyone or tell anyone about anything. Right, exactly. I'd be too, you know what I mean, because you know what these people are like, but so it's not exactly clear how this whole thing initially started, but at one point in time in 1692, these three girls started having these fits and quote-unquote seizures 
and uh, just outrages and screams. Like they, they were going crazy as if they were possessed. And that's when the doctor that came in diagnosed them as being victims of black magic. Wow. And the girls blamed Tichuba. They blamed her. And then everyone went to Tichuba and wanted her to confess and ask her what happened because that's where the girls said this started. And then Tichuba finally con- confessed that, oh, it wasn't me. I was bewitched by someone else because Tichuba didn't want to die. So that's how this whole name thing started. So then the Puritans got completely scared and thought, oh my God, there's witches amongst us. What are we going to do? And that's when the whole name blaming started. So wait, what happened to Tichuba? Do we know? She lived. Okay. She lived. All right. She was not amongst the people who died. She claimed to have been bewitched by someone else as to what happened. Not that she herself signed her soul to the devil. So somebody put a spell on her or somebody... Correct. ...said this Tichuba is going to be a witch. And then, so she blamed Yeah, she said there are witches amongst us, a witch bewitched me. Wow. You know, and that's kind of how this whole name blaming started. You have to wonder about the three girls because they were they were pretty young. They were like, very young. What was even going on? Like, if there was some sort of medical condition that was happening, or if they just decided to do this amongst themselves just for fun, I guess, to blame Tijuba, you know, uh, or even why, if it was a medical condition, why they would blame her in the first place, you know, like. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I honestly think that perhaps Tichuba probably told them about voodoo and witchcraft. I don't know if they she actually did stuff in front of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe it scared them. And they maybe, must... maybe, it was, maybe they started having nightmares, and that's kind of how this whole thing started, and who knows? They might have there's, actually... There's no definitive answer as to why. They probably actually, like, bought into it and believed it was. Whatever was happening with them was a cause of witchcraft or right. something like that. And you have to think about a child during that time. A child during that time, especially young girls, you helped your mom take care of the house. You didn't go and have fun and play like the boys did. You know, maybe they were bored. Maybe they wanted to do something else. Started starting the Salem witch trials because you're bored. <laughs> I don't think they intended on that. But. So let's get into the people that were accused. So we have Bridget Bishop, age 50. Bridget Bishop was a widow who lived in the town of Salem. And she had a bad reputation around town because she actually was accused of witchcraft many years ago. Had some run-ins with the law. She was not the first person accused of the Salem witch trials, but she was the first person tried because uh, they believed her case uh, would go over easily since she was accused a long time ago. Uh, She was brought to trial on June 2nd, found guilty, and became the first person executed, and she was hanged uh, June 10th, 1692. Now we have Sarah Good, who you're related to. Yep, that's that's my girl. (laughs) She was 39. Uh, Sarah Good lived in Salem. She was the wife of William Good, but she was poor. And she would often go door-to-door in Salem begging for handouts while her husband worked as a day laborer. And I'm sure people didn't like that. Uh, she was one of the first people accused. That's probably why we see her name come up so much, because she was one of the first that was accused, along with Sarah Osborne and Tichuba. Uh, and Sarah Good was tried on June 29th and executed on July 19th, 1692. Then we have Elizabeth Howe, age 57. Uh, she was actually accused by the girls in Salem in May of 1692 and she was uh, tried June 29th and executed July 19th. It, it sound, as I'm going through these, it sounds like people who were accused were people that people didn't like for some yeah. reason. 
Well, and then there's common themes, like you were saying. Like, there's the poor theme, there's the, they're all women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, majority of churches are run by men, or religious groups are run by men. Yeah. So, Speak, and speaking of widows, our next one is uh, Susanna Martin, age 71. She was poor, and she was a widow. She lived in uh, Amesbury, um, which is not too far from Salem. Martin is my mother's maiden name, so that's funny. <laughs> I don't, oh, really? I don't think there could be, <laughs> so but now, that would be yeah, funny. So now you have two bloodlines connected <laughs> to Salem. So strong in my blood. <laughs> but she was also accused by the girls uh, in the spring of 1692. Um, she was taken to Salem. She was tried on June 29th and executed July 19th, 1692. Then we have Rebecca Nurse, age 71. She was an elderly grandmother from Salem. Uh, she was a pious and popular woman who had a long-standing feud with the Putnam family over border boundaries with the adjacent property. Interesting. Yes. She also disproved of the controversial appointment of Samuel Paris as the town's minister. Paris was really close friends with the Putnams, and that's probably why Paris was claimed as the minister. The Putnams were Rebecca Nurse's main accusers during the trials, and many of the Putnams testified against her. The Putnam family was actually pretty big. Uh, so she was tried and found not guilty, um, but then they protested and told them to reconsider. She was retried, then got a guilty verdict, and Rebecca Nurse was executed July 19, 1692. What? That's crazy. So the Putnam yeah. family had control over the town. Yeah, it they was were definitely like, power. Can you check that again? Yeah. Um, I think she's probably a witch. Right. <laughs> right, and certainly doesn't fall under the laws that we have now. Like, right. once you're tried and you're found not guilty, you're not guilty. Right. Unless you do something different, right? So they said to her, you know, you were not guilty. And then the town protested, mostly the Putnams, and said, we think she's guilty. And they were like, yep, you're right. Let's hang her. So, yep. Which is crazy. And I, the, the thing that I found interesting with what you've read so far is, like, you have women, you have widows, you have... Um, poor, you have people that were against the Putnam family, or right. arguing about land, or money, and then all of a sudden, they're witches. All of a sudden, and, yeah. and all of a sudden they're witches, and they're being killed. Yeah. Uh, then we have Sarah Wilds, age 65. Around 1649, she was accused of fornicating out of wedlock with another man. And in 1663, she was accused of wearing a silk scarf. Mm. Uh, I believe the Puritans only allowed you to wear certain types of material, and you couldn't wear anything that was... Too sexy. Correct. Well, yeah. silk Correct. scarf. Yeah, so she was already very much looked down upon. And then she was brought to trial on June 29th and executed July 19th, 1692. Why are all the, were all the trials in June and July? Everything you've read so far is like June and July, which I think is interesting. But you don't have to answer that question, but there's a lot of June and July. There are. A, a number of people were executed at the same time. That's why July 19th Got comes up so many times. Um, they kind of, they tried a bunch of people and then did like a group hanging a couple times mm. so not all not all 19 people were hung at the same time um, I don't think there was like one person hanged it was always with uh, a number of people like a number of people okay yeah <clears throat> then we have actually Reverend George Burroughs age 40 uh, George Burroughs was the only Puritan minister to be accused and executed during the Salem witch trials so he used to be the Salem's village minister around like the 1680s uh, people did not like him for some reason. They didn't think that he should have been appointed minister, and he was not always paid his salary. And then, he, because of that, he was often borrowing money from the Putnam family. What? 
Big yeah. shocker. So, here we go again. He never repaid his debt to the Putnam family. He wasn't even in Salem at the time. He was brought to Salem because they accused him. He was arrested on August 5th and executed August 19th, 1692. Well, I'm excited that the first man, you know. <laughs> Representation. That, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> <Come on. laughs> well, you know, like, I thought it was just women, but, you know, you don't hear a lot about the men, did, and you don't hear about men being witches. Yeah, there's not uh, there's not a whole lot of men in here. So did um, they call him a witch, or did they give him a different title? Not witch. Witch, 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 I think, is just the universal term Gender for neutral. anyone yeah. who practices witchcraft. Okay. Gender neutral, I guess. All right. I don't think they, they called they, it that at that time. They didn't really care about pronouns. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Witch. Yeah. Uh, and we have Martha Carrier, age 33. Uh, she was accused by her neighbor, Benjamin Abbott, after the two had a dispute over land. Abbott immediately fell ill. Uh, her children were also accused and were coerced to testify against their own mother. Probably threatened to testify against their own mother. So here we have stuff kind of going out from the Putnam family because people are kind of seeing this happen. So she has a dispute about land with, with her neighbor. Her neighbor accuses her and claims to have fallen ill. And now she's a witch. She's accused. She's tried on August 5th and executed August 19th, 1692. So now we have other people getting rid of other people. Because they don't like them or there's disputes. Correct. Then we have another man, John Willard, uh, around age 30. He was a deputy constable in Salem, and he was one of the first people to speak out against the Salem witch trials. And uh, he was he was responsible for helping arrest the accused witches, but soon began to doubt whether these people were actually witches. And because he went against uh, the Putnam family, because the Putnam family was kind of in charge of this whole witch hunt, he was then accused of witch, witchcraft by Anne Putnam Jr., who accused him of beating her baby sister to death, which is outrageous. It's crazy. So another person that's against the Putnam family. Correct. Another person against the Putnam family. Several confessed witches testified against Willard, as well as Anne Putnam, who testified that she saw many ghosts of people who Willard allegedly killed. He was brought to trial on August 5th and executed August 19th, 1692. Uh, so if you confessed to witchcraft... I don't think they killed you. Oh. They would try to get you to pray and reclaim and ask for forgiveness. But it's the people who didn't... Your name was kind of the only thing you had at the time. Mm -hmm. So if you... It, it's People didn't want to confess to witchcraft because then your name would be labeled red for your entire life. So it's you're stuck between dying or just having your reputation completely tarnished. Yeah, but your reputation at the time was the only thing you had. Yeah. So if you watch The Crucible... Um, there's a, there's a scene where I'm going to get into John Proctor, but he, they want him to just sign and say that he was a witch that they don't have to hang on because he was kind of liked. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene where he screams, but it's my name! Because that's the only thing you had back then. Right. It's the only thing you had to say who you were and your legacy. Uh, then we have George Jacobs, age 72. He was accused by witchcraft uh, by several people, including his granddaughter. Maybe his granddaughter didn't like him. Maybe not. But he was another, uh, he was a churchgoer, but he was another outspoken critic of Salem witch trials and didn't believe that these people were witches. Uh, so many people testified against uh, George Jacobs, uh, including many members of the Putnam family. He was found guilty on August 5th and executed August 19th, 1692. A lot of these people are so old. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of them are just yeah. elderly people that 
are getting targeted and executed. Uh, so now we get into John Proctor. Uh, in the movie, he's a lot younger, but his actual age was 61. He was a pretty wealthy farmer who lived on the outskirts of the Salem village. But again, he was another outspoken critic of the Salem witch trials. And he actually often threatened to beat or whip the uh, afflicted girls for their role in the witch trials because he knew that they were just making it up. Mm. You know, he kind of he was kind of like looking back and saw the ridiculousness of all this. Um, but first, uh, his wife Elizabeth was arrested on charges of witchcraft in April of 1692. Um, then the afflicted girls turned on John Proctor during Elizabeth's examination, accused him as well. John Proctor's entire family was eventually arrested on charges of witchcraft. And he had kids, so the kids were arrested too. John Proctor knew Salem was in the midst of mass hysteria. He actually wrote letters to the Boston clergy asking them to intervene in the trials. The clergy responded, but it was too late to save John Proctor, who was brought to trial on August 5th and executed August 19th, 1692. So now we have Alice Parker, her age is unknown. Uh, she was the wife of fisherman John Parker. They both lived in Salem. In May of 1692, the afflicted girls uh, suddenly accused Alice Parker of witchcraft. Uh, during Parker's trial, one of the girls made several surprising accusations against her, claiming that Parker bewitched her mother to death, made her sister ill, and drowned several men and boys at sea. Alice Parker was brought to trial on September 9th and executed September 22nd, 1692. Then we have Mary Parker. She was around age 40. Um, it's not known why Parker was accused, but during her examination, she said there was another woman in the town of Andover named Mary Parker and suggested it was a case of mistaken identity. But anyway, she was brought to trial September 17th and executed September 22nd, 1692. That's a terrible one. Yeah. Like, it's somebody else, it wasn't me, and they're like, we don't care. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. She tried. She yeah. really did try. <laughs> then we have Anne Pudater. Uh, she was in her 70s. And here we have another widow who lived in Salem. Um, she worked as a nurse and midwife. She had a reputation of being sharp-tongued and often quarreled with locals. Uh, she was accused of witchcraft in May of 1692 by Sarah Churchill um, and the other afflicted girls. Uh, some, some of her medical supplies, such as foot ointments uh, and things like that, were confiscated um, as objects uh, in court to prove that she dabbled in the occult. Um, even though they were just ointments and regular things, a nurse. Yeah, she's a happen. nurse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, she, during her trial, she accused everyone of lying and outspoke about the ridiculousness of these uh, trials. Her trial was on September 9th, and she was executed September 22nd, 1692. Uh, then we have Wilmot Red. Age is unknown. Um, she was an unpopular person around town, but she also quarreled with locals and apparently had a, an abrasive personality. Uh, her daughter was the wife of the accused uh, Reverend George Burroughs. Red was brought to trial in September and executed September 22nd, 1692. Uh, and now we have Margaret Scott, age 77, another widow. After her husband died in 1671, she was left poor and she was forced to beg from her neighbors and this made her very unpopular with everybody. Uh, she was brought to trial on September 17th and executed September 22nd, 1692. Then we have Samuel Wardwell, uh, age 49. He apparently was a tune teller and a practitioner of English folk magic. Uh, so it was believed that his work in the occult uh, led to his witchcraft accusation. Uh, I'm not sure how much he kind of dabbled in stuff. It was just English folk magic. 
whatever that is. Um, so obviously he was red labeled right away. Uh, he was accused in September 1692, arrested and jailed in uh, Salem. Shortly after, his wife and daughters were also arrested. Uh, during his, his examination, he admitted to fortune-telling and dabbling in magic and said that the devil may have taken advantage, advantage of him for these reasons. He, could, he did confess to making a pact with the devil, but then later recanted his confession. And because of that, he was brought to trial in September and executed September 22nd, 1692. So the last three people were executed on the same day. Correct. Yeah. Uh, then we have Martha Corey, age 72. Martha Corey lived on the outskirts of Salem and was the wife of wealthy farmer Giles Corey. It was a well-known fact that she had a child out of wedlock. And again, when that happens during this time, you are red-labeled immediately. And Martha Corey was also another outspoken critic of the Salem Witch Trials and stated numerous times that the afflicted girls were quote-unquote liars. Uh, she actually, uh, there's a quote from her and it says, we must not believe all that these distracted children say. So she saw right through him immediately. In March, Giles Corey, uh, her husband, actually testified against his wife in court, stating that she may have bewitched his farm animals and himself. So I wonder if this was a very unhappy marriage. Yeah, so he just was looking <laughs> away for a way out. Um, but then uh, Giles Corey was actually accused of witchcraft and arrested in April himself. And uh, he refused to provide any more information about his wife and himself. Uh, but Martha was brought to trial September 9th and executed September 22nd, 1692, uh, just three days after Giles Corey had been uh, tortured to death by refusing a plea. Um, I'll get into Giles Corey in a little bit. Um, but then we have uh, Mary Eastie, age 58. She was the sister of the accused Rebecca Nurse. In April 1692, Mary Eastie was arrested, uh, but then released in May. Then she was accused again a few days after her release. Uh, then she was in, then she was examined and indicted on two charges of witchcraft. She was brought to trial September 9th and executed September 22nd, 1692. So those are all the people that were hanged. So the one man that was pressed to death was Giles Corey, Martha Corey's husband. Uh, so we know a little bit about him, but basically, I, like I said before, he refused to enter any kind of plea. So in order to get him to confess, they strapped him down. He put a board on top of him and started putting heavy stones on that board. Yes. They kept trying to have him give them a plea, any kind, whether it's a confession or whatever it may be. Probably they were looking for a confession, but he just, he wouldn't say anything. And they just kept piling stones. And this lasted, um, uh, I think it was like three days that they were doing this to him. And he was an old man. But it is reported that in his dying breath, he said one line, more weight. And then finally, it uh, collapsed him. Wow. But I just thought, I mean, yeah, it's kind of awful that he accused his wife yeah. of witchcraft, but it's kind of a badass old man. This guy, that... this guy's a legend. <laughs> he is a legend. When we read this in school, that more weight line, mm -hmm. like, I, stuck with me to this day. It like, does. More the, yeah. weight. Yeah. How badass is that? Like, you know, like, uh, I don't know if he knew this whole thing was crap or he didn't want to confess anything. So he just says more weight, and they put another stone on, and, and that crushed, it. crushed he is. It's a good thing to use in your day-to-day -day life, yeah, just man. more weight. Yeah. I also think and it's interesting they got tired of hanging people, and they were like, we need something a little bit more interesting. I think because he accused his wife, and they thought he knew more than he told, 
They wanted more information wanted out of to, him. Yeah. Wow. So let's take a break right there, and then we'll get right back. <laughs> Ghost Encounters Podcast is sponsored by the Eric Ledbetter team with Iron Valley Real Estate. Contact the Eric Ledbetter team for all your real estate needs. Visit theericledbettertteam.com. Also sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your competition with expert marketing, photography, and video production. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If you're enjoying the Ghost Encounters Podcast, hit subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ghost Encounters PA. That's at Ghost Encounters PA. To watch the Ghost Encounter show, visit ghost-encounters.com. A number of people, I mean, like I said before, over 200 people were accused. Uh, a lot of people were found guilty and pardoned. Um, I won't get into all those names, but one of them is Elizabeth Proctor, John Proctor's wife. But let's talk a little bit about the people that were imprisoned. I mean, this wasn't like, oh... Here's a jail cell at the door, and we're going to feed you. This was, there's a quote from someone. The most dangerous inmates were witches, and they were kept in the dungeons. It was perpetually dark, bitterly cold, and so damp that water ran down the walls. They reeked of unwashed human bodies and excrement. They enclosed as much agony as anywhere human beings could have lived. They were rats, all kinds of stuff. They didn't feed them, they didn't give them water. They were usually chained to the walls, so they couldn't move or do any kind of witchcraft. And that's the conditions these people were put in when they were imprisoned. And they were left there to die, or were they eventually uh, released? Or A handful know? of people died in prison, yeah. um, but basically they were just awaiting to be tried, and that's it. Wow. A lot of people were also uh, examined while they were imprisoned, and you were in prison with other people like chained to walls. Mm -hmm. So it was very humiliating because they would strip you down and look for quote-unquote marks of the devil. Mm -hmm. They would probe you and poke you and search you while you were naked in front of everybody in the dungeons. And I mean, we were reading a lot of the dates were like June and July or August and September. So that's at least like a month or a handful of weeks that at least they had to be in there between trial and like for a lot of them execution. And there's probably longer from when they were like initially detained. Correct, correct. But that's kind of the story of the Salem Witch Trials. There were no actual witches that we know of. It was just one mass hysteria, two people accusing other people to kind of get rid of them because they either they didn't like them or they were feuds. Putnam himself accused and testified against 43 people, and his daughter testified against 62. So of the 43 people that Putnam testified against, 12 were executed, 3 were found guilty but pardoned, 6 were found not guilty, 13 were never indicted, and two died in jail. The rest either evaded arrest or escaped from prison. But what happened was the Salem Witch Trials eventually came to an end in 1693, and Thomas Putnam died six years later in uh, May of 1699. Uh, Only a few weeks later, his wife, Anne Putnam, uh, died, leaving young Anne Putnam to raise her nine siblings alone. So talk about a little bit of karma for you. Yeah. This young girl. Um, so she would have been 18, and she was left to uh, take care of all nine of her siblings alone. Anne Putnam Jr. was the only afflicted girl to publicly apologize for her role in the Salem witch trials. Wow. And I think it took a couple hundred years for Salem itself to apologize for the events that took place. I've been to Salem a bunch of times. It's one of my favorite places on earth. 
Um, if you go down Essex Street, which is a cobblestone street that's just that's a pedestrian street, and it's just lined with shops and restaurants and stuff, it's a really cool place to go to around Halloween. The whole town is dressed up and decorated. There's all bunch of stuff going on. I highly suggest you um, go there at some point in your life during October. It's so much fun. Um, but if you want to see the place where the people lived, as you know, like areas were then like divided over time. So Salem during that time was probably a lot bigger than it is now because areas were divided, land was divided, and they called different counties and this and that. So if you want to go to the place where like, these people lived, you have to go to Danvers, Massachusetts. Um, so at some point in time, they kind of cut off certain areas of, of Salem. But in the town of Salem, you can actually visit the courthouse where people were tried. You can see the old uh, graveyard where people at the time were buried. But here's the weird thing. No one knows what happened to the bodies of the people who died who were accused of witches. It's said that after they were hanged, or, or pressed to death, or died in jail, they were just thrown into a shallow grave. Oh. Um, there is stories that some people went and claimed the bodies and buried them on the property, but no one's ever found their bodies. Wow. Do they know the site where the executions took place? They have a general idea. So people always thought like Gallows, Gallows Hill was where they would have executed them, but after more research, they found out that Proctor's Ledge was where they hanged the witches. Um, so they think that there should have been some kind of shallow grave area near Proctor's Ledge because they wouldn't have like transported bodies because witches were not allowed a regular... That's where reports say that they hanged people, not Gallows Hill, but actually Proctor's Ledge. It's, it's, it's tough because around that time they didn't really document a whole lot and a lot of stuff was lost over the years. I mean, you're, we're going back to the six, you know, 1600s. You know? Um, that's kind of the general area that, again, they don't know where the bodies are. I wonder if anyone's like even really tried to look that hard for them. People, or if are, people have tried. I know there have been searches done. Yeah. Um, people don't look for if there's bodies in the ground and this and that, but they haven't found any yet. So next time you go, you're bringing a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of digging. <laughs> but it, it is. It is. Uh, it would make sense if some of the family members came to retrieve the bodies. Um, it does make sense that they were put into shallow graves, and who knows? Maybe just over because they didn't have. They weren't put in coffins or anything. They were just, their bodies were left to rot in the ground. Um, so bones could still be there, but most of the most of everything else would just have been decayed and gone. That's crazy. I was in Salem once, and it was the maybe two weeks before Halloween, and we did like the Witch Museum, and we went through the tour, and the ghost tour, and we did the graveyard. And it's an eerie place when you're there. I mean, it's awesome. It's an awesome place, but we did walk down Essex Street, and we did get to see like a lot of the, um, the stuff that they had up for witches and, and, and Halloween. It was, it's, a, it's a neat place to go. Um, and when you're there, you kind of feel like you could see it happening because the town is very historic mm-hmm. and, and looks very old. And Yeah, they know. did a great job like keeping the history of that town. Yeah, yeah which know? I love. And you can see one thing I love to do is see the you know different houses and locations from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> Hocus Pocus is one of my favorite movies of all time. Now, just so everyone knows, Hocus Pocus they do talk about it the movie does, quote-unquote, take place in Salem, and the three witches, the three Sanderson uh, witches, uh, but they don't exist. They're completely made up. It has nothing to do, you know, with what actually took place in the Trail. Those names don't exist, um, but that is one of my favorite movies. It does have to do with Salem and, and witches. Yeah. 
Sophie, have you ever been to, ever been to Salem? I've actually never been to Salem. Well, you've, you've been, been in Mass- there. I know. You've I've been to Massachusetts <laughs> how many times? You're related to one person, maybe Gosh, two now. I, I got to go back to my roots. Right. <laughs> Would I be like a minor celebrity if I showed up and I'm like, I was related to Sarah? Yeah. <laughs> you start getting like flashbacks. So. I start getting yeah. powers. <laughs> <laughs> I come back with witchcraft abilities. It is definitely a cool place to check out. Um, Even if you don't go during October, it is a little bit packed during October, but it's really cool because the whole town's decorated. Every single restaurant's decorated. Everyone, if you're not dressed up, downtown Salem, you're the oddball out. You're the witch. Yeah, yeah, you're the oddball out. Everyone's dressed up. There's all kinds of displays and music and there's a whole bunch of stuff to do. I do have an uncle that lives in Salem right now. So, okay, so you, you have a family member that lives in Salem, related to someone from the Salem Witch Trials, and you have not been to Salem? Yeah, I'm actually starting to think I should probably go this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's all the time we have for today. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. Stay spooky. Stay curious. And get out there and cast some spells. Uh-huh.